right, welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, fresh out of being sequestered in Kanye's studio at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? <laughs> so, you, so you saw the video of me banging <laughs> trash cans. You think I get a job with the Astros? Oh <laughs> no, I thought I thought that you were fresh out of a a, a locker helping work on Donda down there for our good buddy Kanye. <laughs> I see, I see. Yeah, if Kanye calls at this point, is it am I like morally obligated to take the job or not take the job? How many racks is he gonna back up? But like is the Brinks truck coming down there to the sticks? Well, that's what I'm saying. I think, you know, Kanye's thing these days seems a little more spiritual. So once he finds this sort of like agnostic Jew in his presence, and I'm not really impressed by like a cloaked man in white riding in on a unicorn or whatever the fuck he does now. Like, and I might be like, yo, Kanye, you know, like that's, that's not that cool. Um, I don't think he'd like having me around. I'm not really a sycophant, you know? <laughs> So you're saying he wants someone that's going to kiss his feet and Benny Horowitz kisses nobody's feet. I just want I'm, that on the Yeah, kind of. I think like guy like that, I don't think you get in the room these days unless you're kissing the ring. Mm. The only person, you know, people who may be able to get away with it are people with like a previous body of work or something he's very impressed with where like he would need your services to improve his life. Right. Someone like me. You know, where he knows people who can program things that sound a lot like me and what I can do anyway. If I'm walking in there and I'm not kissing the ring and I'm not down with the white cloaked, you know, uh, seminaries he's doing every weekend. <laughs> no, I don't think he wants to be around. I'll tell you what he can't program. He can't program a master class and how to bang on a trash can and get your sound. I listen. I mean, I'll I'll go to the end saying this. You can't program soul, baby. Mm. <laughs> Just can't do it. Never gonna happen. I saw your uh, while we were on our little break. I saw you trying out for the Houston Astros and the record. The record's coming along. We got a we got a nod to Jose Altuve in there. I love it. Yeah, new album. Carlos Correa making a little spoken <laughs> word in the middle, talking about how. We should forgive them. So I heard an article this week about that. Do you think it's time? Do you think it's time people forgive the Astros? Or or, or is this one of those baseball things we got to carry like in our hearts until we all die? Well, you know, I think that the, the, the way society is going is here's what's going to happen, right? In like in five years, maybe there's going to be a documentary about the whole thing. Um, mm. I was just watching the the Malice at the Palace documentary on Netflix. Yeah. Right. Shout out to Ryan Duffy, my buddy who worked on it. That's right. It, it, it was fantastic. I love the angle that they took. And you know, the thing I didn't notice was the racial component of that. So to get back to your a yeah. actual statement, yeah, man, you know, I think we're going to hear uh, more of the actual story. And, and, and I think we're, we're going to be like, you know what? That wasn't so bad because look at it. Barry Bonds is back. Barry Bonds, Hall of Famer conversation right now. So, I, you know, I, I think there is a delineation, though. I think the thing that people argue is that all the cheating that those players did was all like between the lines. Mm. And that, you know, the cheating that happened in this happened with, you know, like interns sitting in the stands 
And that's what was giving the team the advantage. You know, I think that's the delineation between this and sign stealing. But let me ask you this. Yeah. If the Astros are a good team this year, really mm-hmm. good team, if they win the World Series and you assume that they're winning it clean, it does it put it to rest this season? Yeah, I mean, it's got to, right? I mean, un- unless they've, they've been proven otherwise that they're up to some other shenanigans. That, that would be bold. I, I mean... That would be like Alex Rodriguez doing steroids the second time. <laughs> it would be like uh, Major League Baseball trying to sell their TV rights to Barstool. Like, oh, so yeah. this Ugh. is... They are the Wild West right now. They're probably the most unpredictable league. And it's like, you know what? If 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 you're going to appeal to a certain market, you just got to go all WWE at some point. Yeah, yeah. Can I mention something about Barstool? Yeah, of course. I, you know, I... I abjectly uh, deny the existence of that website <laughs> after a few years ago. I kind of looked around and saw what it was about and went, nah, no thanks. Yeah. But my brother-in-law was up from Florida a couple weeks ago, and, and we went on a little uh, pizza slice oh. tour in New Jersey. We went to like four different spots on a, a route we were taking just to try some slices and do some ratings and have some fun with it. So he shows me that series of the barstool oh, yeah. Jamoke going to pizza places and doing the same thing. I got to be honest, all of my thoughts about it were completely confirmed after listening to this guy speak for like five minutes. <laughs> no, thanks. And if that guy and that, the organization has something to do with baseball from now on. I mean, I don't know. I see that as kind of a smear and maybe like the alternate branding of baseball where baseball is making itself a safe place for the other side where basketball is kind of like denying it now and yeah. football's leaning that way. So maybe baseball's pitch. And I've been to places like Cincinnati and Houston and Arizona to see games. Mm. And I can tell you that it is not a progressive audience. <laughs> so maybe they're leaning into it. Baseball should have a lot of ground to make up, especially after the incident that happened in Colorado the other day with the, how would you put that, a racial epitaph that was thrown out at a Rockies player. Um, but yeah. not to get serious, but that guy that, that they port in it, that portnoy or how however the heck you say his name his pizza reviews are, are trash anyway you know i did make one mistake making that I, you know you live and you learn as you're going i took a couple slices real hot Ooh. and i think i the ate them too hot to really distinguish the flavors in the sauce the cheese so you know i'm a rookie too <laughs> and but i'll tell you driving around and and testing slices man i wish someone would give me that job full time what a great afternoon that sounds like that sounds Not like bad. what should be our side hustle as a, a podcast you know how like you go to like these cities like like uh like barcelona or like paris and you can do like these like food tours yeah pizza tour of new jersey billion dollar business listen i i could tell a personal <laughs> anecdote about this quickly <laughs> i worked at a pizza place called paulie's pizza in new brunswick yeah and the owner lou was having a tough time. He wanted to establish himself as the gourmet pizza spot in New Brunswick, even though he would serve day-old slices. You know, I'm like, mm. Lou, come on, get it together here, you know? And one time, he actually brought in a pizza consultant. <laughs> it was a guy <laughs> who had run a bunch of successful pizza places, old Italian guy, mm. real put together, real cool, 
came to our shop for three days, tasted it, saw the operation from like the, you know, boots up and gave like an analysis on like what we could change to make the pizza better. It was like pretty cool. So this is big business stuff, man. Like getting that flavor out of pizza is sort of a mystical uh, anomaly that only a few people have the key to. Well, you know what is uh, also a mystical anomaly, Benny? What's that? This Day Music History. Mm. Hell of a seg. What do you got? (laughs) So on this day in 1938, Robert Johnson, potentially the king of the Delta Blues, is poisoned during a gig in Greenwood, Mississippi. Most accounts claim the guy who owned the club put poison in Johnson's whiskey bottle because he was having an affair with his wife. Mm. He died three days later, putting him in the uh, nefarious age 27 club. Mm. Now, it gets a little interesting, though. If you know the story of Robert Johnson, I mean, he only has 20-something you know, recorded songs in history, not a lot of photos, almost no video. Like, this is someone where the narrative has been being put together after his life, you know? And there's a chance here being the heavy drinker that he was and, uh, you know, the things like that were maybe coming in illegal whiskey. It was, you know, this was like straight illegal moonshine whiskey, not exactly like, you know, being tested for uh, uh, quality and safety. Like he might have just gotten himself into a bad bottle of liquor and we just created this whole narrative around it. Uh, there was one person, a musicologist mm. named Robert Mac McCormick, that claimed he tracked down the killer and that the killer began giving his alibi prior to him even asking questions. When he asked him why he's giving his alibi, he broke down and confessed to killing Robert Johnson. But this guy, the the musicologist, Mac McCormick, refused to name the suspect and uh, never really like was able to corroborate this story at all. Hmm. So it's still, you know, to add to the mythical nature of Robert Johnson's music and life. I don't know if we'll ever know if he was murdered or just got himself into a bad bottle of whiskey. But moral of the story, you got to not, not mess with someone else's wife. They might poison you. That's you know? right. All right, Benny. On this day in 1994, Woodstock 94 was held in Saugatees, New York, attended by over 350,000 fans. And the festival featured Green Day, Nine Inch Nails, Aerosmith, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And this Woodstock is known as the the peaceful middle child that nobody seems to talk about too much as compared to 99, who got the uh, documentary we talked about a few weeks ago on HBO. And then, of course, 1969 and the myth-making that goes about that. And is is there a better example of, you know, the... Family structure of like oldest child is like Zen, legendary, like myth making thing. Like the middle child is like not really talked about. And then there's the wild younger child. I mean, it's partially it, but it's also, I think, just leans into our instinct as people to just focus on 
things that are crazy and confusing rather yeah. than things that are just cool. Yeah. You know, and that thing was kind of cool. Everybody who was there seemed to have a great time. The artists played well, seemed to have a great time. Everyone enjoyed a few days in a field and went home without incident. And for our twisted human minds, that's not interesting. <laughs> so I think that's really the moral of the story there. <laughs> I think I'm more told on, on myself and my need to rank things in, in, in this business of talking. That, and so this is the I'm mixing saying. of sports and music here, always. <laughs> always top tens. Who is in the Woodstock Mount Rushmore? The Pantheon, the goat. Yeah. Oh my uh-huh. goodness! Oh, Steven Tyler, Santana, <laughs> Green Day, Jimmy. Yeah, you could. Uh, that would be pretty funny. Try and come up with the Woodstock Mount Rushmore. You got to put Limp Biscuit on, right? Oh man, yeah. Hey man, they've got to uh, do it. DMX, R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Benny, first headline today, and it is a story that we've been talking about for over a year, and it's finally reached its conclusion. The search for a new permanent Jeopardy host is officially over. The show's executive producer, Mike Richards, has been named the new permanent host of the syndicated game show, uh, succeeding the late Alex Trebek. Additionally, Sony Pictures announced that uh, Big Bang Theory star Mayim Bialik will host Jeopardy's primetime specials and spin-off series including Jeopardy's upcoming National College Championship set to air on ABC next year. Benny, I've read a lot of reaction about this, both positive and negative, and one of my big takeaways is that most of the people that are upset about this probably don't watch Jeopardy. Um I know this Richard guy has had some lawsuits uh dealing with women during his tenure as uh producer of The Price is Right. But all of that aside, from just a strictly hosting standpoint, do you like Jeopardy keeping it in-house? I mean, the first thing I saw when I read this article in my head, I go, what? They hired a suit? <laughs> you know, and I was wondering, I'm like, is this the TV show equivalent of, uh, you know, grooming through the system and like promoting one of your own? Right. You know, when all of a sudden some assistant coach you've never heard of has the head coach job. I'm like, well, trust me, he's got the pedigree. We trained him right. So I don't know. I mean, you know, the only logic I can see in this is the idea that they wanted Jeopardy to be seen as like Jeopardy. Mm. You know, if you put one of these more celebrity people on it, my boy LeVar Burton included, Mm -hmm. does it become like LeVar Burton's Jeopardy? So I think maybe they like chose the most blank person they could who could actually manage it to sort of uh, maybe keep the brand in that way. That was my only thinking there. So it's like almost so unflashy. I thought that might be the strategy. Now with the alternate host and these new shows, I have a feeling she's going to be much better Mm -hmm. and definitely much more interesting. So uh, maybe what Jeopardy is doing here to enter the world of TikTok and whatnot is starting a controversy because mm. from the get-go you know there's going to be a chorus of like replace mike with miami you know yeah. like it's it's going to be like from the get um especially with like you said with his with the the, the smudge and his background there which i don't know much about enough yeah, to talk neither. about so i i think that's an interesting part of it and again maybe part of their strategy is like 
let's take like the blankest white dude we can find and pit him against this really interesting woman. And it kind of creates like an in-house thing there for Jeopardy where people get to rank and make Mm. polls and (laughs) do whatever they do on the, on the socials, you know? And more importantly, it keeps them relevant. That whole thing that, that you laid out to me, uh, kind of feels like you know that that thing that SNL went through and like Lorne Michaels left the show and, and and they you know brought in like stars that were like like bigger mm. than than the show and it becomes their show and not SNL. Uh, so I, I feel like we've seen that mistake made in TV all all of the time. But I think the great thing about bringing in Maya is right is like she is known but not too known. And uh, eventually, this whole Jeopardy kingdom kind of becomes hers. And, you know, like like they started out a little bit, and they just kind of grow up from there. I mean, the trend with all of these game shows is to have a big celebrity host. Like, this isn't the 70s or the 80s anymore. I mean, you have, you know, like Alec Baldwin hosts a show. Um, Michael Rob Strahan. Lowe. Yeah, Rob Lowe. Like, all of these, like, big time. So Dwayne Wade. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I love that, but I don't think any of that is going back to the alma mater right there. So, Jeopardy, I think you know they're doing they're, they're doing the best they can, um, at least on the day to day. And hey, maybe like Mayim's filming schedule only worked with doing a couple a year right now, and then mm. you know, as as the ebbs and flows of her career, she'll always have Jeopardy to fall back on. I, I think it's a pretty savvy move. Hmm. Yeah, that could be it. All right, from the small screen to the big screen adjacent, Benny, last night, Major League Baseball held their Field of Dreams game out there in Iowa. The inspiration came from the 1989 Field of Dreams movie starring Kevin Costner, James Earl Jones, uh, where they built a baseball in a cornfield in Iowa. Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Uh, Major League Baseball built an 8,000-seat ballpark uh, adjacent to the actual site where they filmed the movie in Dyersville, Iowa. Um, And the Yankees and White Sox did battle. So that got us thinking here at the tune-up. What other sports movies would you like to see, uh, sports movie moments would you like to see brought to life by one of these leagues? So, Benny... I have an idea, but the floor is yours. Which one of these would you like to see brought to life? All right. I had two ideas. Yeah. Both fun, okay? I love it. So I think somewhere in Southern California, they should make like a Sandlot-styled theme park, you know, (laughs) where, you know, you have the dusty baseball field, the one ball. If you hit it hard enough, it goes over the fence. And then you have to go through a series of things to get it from the dog. James Earl Jones pops out the whole deal. I think that could be a lot of fun. My other thought was trying to recreate, you know, people are really into uh, what's that power cross, whatever the fuck people do. What's the, you know, Oh, cross the crazy arms. Yeah. Crossfit. You know, stuff like that. What do I call it? Power cross. Power. <laughs> uh, that's my that's my new one. Video coming soon. Um, people are all into that. Why don't you take my favorite scene from any of the Rocky movies is the training scene montage from Rocky Four, uh. where he's out in Russia in the snowy mountains, crushing pails of water <laughs> and logging and cruising through the snow. I think somewhere in the Eastern Europe, they should create a Rocky Four styled like retreat 
for power cross people to go and do their thing in the Rocky four training sequence. Those are my two thoughts relating to the field of dreams. What, what do you have? Mine's very simple. I have one and I think that it's actually maybe the most doable. I think every year at the all-star break, they should have the all-star game outside on the court in Venice beach, California, a la white men can't jump, uh, bring, you know, Marcus Johnson, Buck Legend yeah. comes out with a fake gun sure. at the end of it and is like, everybody runs to their cars and that's how the game's over. Going to the car, <laughs> I'm getting my gun. <laughs> I mean, come on, it's such a classic scene. That's a good idea. And you give out uh, you give out the Woody Harrelson and we- or right. the Wesley Snipes flip hat. <laughs> you know, when you walk in, the uh, 80s style bike messenger flip hat. Yeah, I like this. That's fun. I would go. My other idea was to hold, you know, a, you know how they're trying to do like the commissioner's cup or whatever, like a mid-season tournament for both the Mm -hmm. NBA and the WNBA. Here's my idea for that. You hold it in Pittsburgh and it kind of becomes a like disco theme kind of thing, almost like that crazy ass movie from 1979, the fish that saved Pittsburgh. So it's like, I'm talking like, like full on like disco floor, like hardwood. Um, the back, uh, the backboard is white and pink. Like, you know, you have like the skaters at halftime, full discotheque operation up in there. in one of the more underrated sports movies of all time, the fish that saved Pittsburgh. It's quality. I, I don't even know that film. I'll oh. have to look it up. It's like, so do you remember? If oh, you, don't don't do the rundown. Classic mistake, Denny. No, Just no, no. Let me check it out. I'm not spoiling <laughs> anything. But if you like that movie, I think that, that they did a few years ago. It was like Area 88 and like Larry Sanders from the Bucks was in it and a bunch of other players kind of all over the place. Then you'd love the fish to save Pittsburgh. All right. All right. One sports headline before we get to our basketball for today and believe me there's a lot of basketball to get caught up on here but all right benny bear with me here because this one is a mouthful uh so it was revealed uh last thursday that leo messi would not return to barcelona the spanish club announced that there were economic obstacles that prevented them from formalizing their five-year contract they had agreed with messi Uh, la liga spain's first division cited that the club's debt of $1.2 $1.2 billion and lack of intent to cut back financially was the main reason that they would not be permitted to sign the new deal for Messi. All this after Messi agreed to take a 50% pay cut to stay with the only club he's ever been with. On the other side of things, Messi's new club, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, plays an entirely different game there over in League One. No financial limitations. League One's like, whatever you can do to bring us attention is great. Uh, So they can spend whatever they want. So when Barcelona was like, hey, we can't pay you, they swooped right in almost immediately, paid Messi whatever he wanted on a two-year deal. And thus, the Argentine is going to play his soccer for the next two years in the City of Lights. So there's a lot of different angles to this. Uh, One specifically on the heels of the European Super League Uh, conversation that we had in the beginning of the summer um, where it's really getting down to in European soccer that if you're not funded by one of these Arab royal families uh, then you really don't have a chance to to compete and that's why these clubs like Real Madrid, Barcelona, 
uh, Juventus all want the Super League so that they can kind of clear their $1.2 million debt to compete. So, Benny, um, a, a lot of angles here, but first let's just get to Messi. And uh, it's always sad to see a guy leave the only team that they've ever been with. What do you make of that first? And then we'll dive into all the other stuff. Yeah, well, again, I mean, as as uh, you know the kind of football fan I am, I get to see things from the outside, you mm. know? Uh and because I don't uh, know or particularly care about like any of those teams, like long and storied histories, I see it on the outside. And to me, this is like Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn. It's just like this really, really great player who want, who doesn't want, I mean, his is a matter of circumstance, but gets to go to one of the greatest cities in the world who kind of, uh, doesn't have the football history it probably should, mm. you know, um, in the same way, like, you know, New York's basketball history is uh, a lot more legend than it is, um, <laughs> you know, actual <laughs> tale of the tape. Right. So I kind of see it like that. I love the idea that uh, a player of his caliber is going to such a great city and that they're turning things around and that could become like a, a you know a powerhouse over there um as far as what you're saying about the super league and trending towards it i mean i don't know how many tweets and messages we got when i was talking about the super league like a year ago and people thought i was being a villain <laughs> for for saying hey like not only do i not like not only do i like this uh, it's definitely going to happen. Yeah. And, and, and I'm right. And it's going that way. And like, you know, if these, um, you know, teams can't accept the TV the money that they were supposed to take to get things to work the way they want to work, they're going to be left in the dust these days. And that's just the name of the game that I have no power over. It's not like I think it's morally okay and not morally bankrupt. Of course it is. But, what the fuck am I supposed to do about it? It's just the way it's going. Right. You know? Yeah, no, the Super League is definitely going to happen. I think that this is going to be a big catalyst uh, for it to happen. It, it, it's even more reason for, you know, Barcelona is going to be like, we need the money. Real Madrid is going to be like, we need the money. Um, and if this happened in La Liga, right, I, I feel like the next area that this is going to happen is in the Premier League. And then people are going to pay notice. See, like, I feel like the the Western world, like, w- when it comes to soccer, like your like your Germany's, your your UK's, your um, American soccer fans, when they look at this and they see it and they're like, oh, it doesn't really affect us. Well, you know, once it hits your premiership club and it's Stan Kroenke who's crying poor, who it's a guy who, you know, uh, is a pretty much U.S. sports villain. Once he's crying poor that he can't compete spending wise, then you're going to see again a little bit more traction and the evolution and the campaign is going to begin. So I think that this event, more than anything, is going to, you know, help kickstart this Super League happen eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It's on its way. Can't stop a rolling boulder. That's right. Let's get to the NBA here. And while we've been gone, it feels like the league was absolutely turned on on its head. I think that there were something close to 60 moves over a two-day period. We're not going to get into all of them, but we're just going to list off the headlines. And I want to start with the Lakers, but I want to start with a particular area of the Lakers that I thought was pretty interesting. And 
you know, as, as I was putting together this show, who would have thought that it would have led with Dennis Schroeder? Okay. <laughs> right. But the the former Lakers guard and emphasis on the former there turned down a four year eighty four million dollar contract to mm-hmm. stay in Tinseltown, thinking that he could get more on the open market. Well he ended up getting a five point nine one year mid level exception to go play for the Boston Celtics. Uh this you know, Schroeder turning down that contract led to a bevy of moves, one of them being a trade that sent Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers. And if you're playing along at home, that's right. They had now have Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and oh, yeah, they added some guy named Carmelo Anthony on top of a whole other thing. So I use this to kind of set the table, Benny, for the Los Angeles Lakers. Average age of this team, 32 years old. Yeah. You see them staying healthy all year? I mean, well, I, you know, I couldn't guess on that. And, and, you know, trying to listening to me, trying to determine a team's <laughs> health is like listening to, uh, you know, a gas station attendant, uh, you know, explain to me vir- virology and <laughs> epidemiology, which seems to happen all the time. Like you got to stay in your wheelhouse here, but you know, based on historical precedents, you know, it's it's a little scary. Um, I mean, on top of health, there's sort of like that, uh, you know, off-season soap opera um, thing going on with the Lakers where, you know, the only things really being talked about are, you know, Russ coming home back to L.A., the fact that him and LeBron live close to each other and their buddies and, you know, they had this powwow and they came up with this idea and, you know, everything, you know, and Russ's press conference yesterday, he, he said all the right things. He's literally talking for the first time in his career that I'm here in a complimentary role and my job is to make LeBron's uh, LeBron's job easier I mean, come on, like, do you want to hear anything else from Russell Westbrook right now? That's like exactly what you want to hear. But let me ask you something. Uh You put LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, and Dwight Howard. Oh, I forgot Dwight. In a room together for more than a couple weeks uh, you know, say things start to go south a little and you drop a few games and all of a sudden there's one finger point <laughs> over to this guy and this ego gets bruised and then all of a sudden there's this little separation going on. Here's Dwight sulking in the corner with Carmelo and Russ over here like making fun of him a little bit. And I don't know, man. Beyond health, that's an aspect of this I don't think anyone's talking about. Do we really think that this crew with their backgrounds and the things that have happened in the past can uh, psychologically and sociologically get through this season in a good way and grow to the point they're going to need to and overcome adversity and develop chemistry, all the really difficult things they're going to have to do to win a ring. I think that's where the big question is. Um, and, And I could see that going south really quickly uh you know based on the things i've seen in the past and like you mentioned with the age you know we're already seeing these narratives being written there's all these stories coming out about 
how uh, Ross called Kawhi, and Kawhi took that call and used it against them to go get Paul George. Now they're literally sharing the same building. Like that whole Lakers Clippers thing is like this massive narrative now. You got George Carl like ripping up Carmelo Anthony on Twitter right now, talking about his past, uh, Dwight's history. You know, the, the narratives are already out there, and it's going to take a lot of discipline for them to control that and keep it all positive, you know? It is the, the Los Angeles Lakers right now are an absolute powder keg. Like, and I, yeah, when we see these things in NBA history, I feel like those are the kind of teams that rarely win a title. Like, I'm not going to say never. Yeah. When you have guys who are, you know, it's, it's a me first team centric approach, though, if that makes any sense whatsoever. It's like they're all for the collective we. But it's like, man, I'm going to start some shit, and then we're going to really rally together as, as a team. And, I, you know, I'm not saying that that's what this team is. I'm just saying that there's a lot of guys who, you know, maybe you have to resign yourself. I'm still pretty sure that Russ is going to go for a triple-double every night. Um, and then that kind of, you know, that kind of tickles Carmelo Anthony a little bit, and he's like, oh, <laughs> I was the guy last year in Portland. I'm going to bring that same energy here. Right. And then there's Dwight, who, my gosh, why the heck is he on this team? Like, you have I'm a big. Sure. And then there's a guy who's bounced around, like Trevor Ariza, who we didn't e even mention that's right. on, on this team. You know, he was part of that team in Houston that everything kind of went sideways. So not exactly great locker room guys, but, hey, we've talked about, you know, LeBron with the kids, how he was like dad LeBron. He's going to be have to have to be dad LeBron with his friends, which is, whew, I don't know how that happens. Yeah. And imagine being a guy like Malik Monk, <laughs> you oh, know, okay. like walking into this and he has, <laughs> I mean, he might be one of the most interesting signings they have and yeah. he might end up being one of the most useful. Um, but imagine just like walking into that situation as him now, yeah. you know, where all of a sudden you got like seven guys at practice, like every three minutes putting her arm around you being like, yo, get a kid. Even, I mean, this includes Trevor Reza and yeah. Kent Bazemore yeah. and like all these people, <laughs> you know? So imagine being Kendrick Nunn and, and Malik Monk, like walking into this team. And those are the most interesting signings they, they might've had basketball wise, yeah. aside from Russ. Um, and they're, you know, two guys who can score a little bit, but play like zero defense. So, you know, that's another thing with chemistry and, 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 you know, when you look at the, you know, the West on paper, um, it seems wide open for like a revamped Utah. Denver, if Murray comes back, Dallas with a couple of their moves, um, you know, the the Warriors um, coming back healthy with all these kids, the Blazers. There's so many teams that could slip through without even too much of a disruption in the Lakers season. You know, it's yeah. not like they're head and shoulders above anybody. So, um yeah, I don't think it's a. It should be written in stone at all, and I think it's one of the most fascinating things to play out this season. I can't wait to see the uh, the drama. <laughs> I do want to get to this Schroeder pay cut though, Benny, and mm. just touch on it a little bit because I feel like over the player empowerment era, there's been this whole narrative of bet on yourself. You know, Jimmy Butler yeah. has been like. Uh, glorified for you know i bet on myself and now i got paid right and i feel like 
over this time. There's been a couple guys who have tried to make that big bet on themselves, tried to get that max deal, tried to get that 250 mil, right, and have kind of come up short. One of those guys is Victor Oladipo and in Indiana. Uh, they offered him a four-year $113 million deal, and then we have Shorter yeah. here. So I don't think guys are going, going to stop doing this, but do you think guys would be more, more gun-shy uh, you know, seeing a guy like Shorter who cost himself essentially $10 million this year. Yeah, and I mean, it obviously cost himself a lot of money long term. Mm. Um, but, you know, maybe he saw something written in stone, too, about his purpose on the team. You know, I don't know. LeBron seems to make things really clear to people really early on. Yeah. And uh, maybe, you know, in a way he knew something. But I think that is more of a scary indication of the fact that, like, just i mean how long ago was that six nine months ago they offered him four years 84 million dollars and the open market commanded you know what it commanded that might be more of an indication of the lakers Mm. uh and their front office not really being put together too well or having a sense of the league because i mean if that's what's coming in the open market and that's what you offered you were obviously uh drastically overpaying and not seeing something the way that everybody else was seeing it. I think Pablo Torre brought that up on uh, on ESPN Daily. I thought it was very astute. Um, but also, I think Schroeder uh, to the Celtics is um, an opportunity for him, you know, to really get a lot of minutes and have a lot of pressure on a potential playoff team again and kind of redevelop his market. You know, he definitely... I think uh, that's the strategy in him taking that. And for Boston, I mean, it's genius because you're either going to get someone who's wildly overplaying a $6 million contract or you're going to get like uh, someone who you can just get rid of if you have to. I mean, it's one year and if things are going bad, you could just literally just like cut them, dump them, you know, whatever you want. So it's risk free for Boston. Um and yeah, I'm curious, but say say Schroeder comes out and he really connects with like Brown and Tatum and Robert Williams and this team, you know, gels around next year. You know, is he in a position to get a big long term contract from Boston? Are they gonna go into it with him, you think? I mean, I don't think so because you know they they've still got to pay Tatum and Brown eventually, like, and that right. the, that bill's coming due pretty soon. Uh, but just for this year, I like this team, and Kemba wasn't working out with this team. I, no. I feel like they've had musical chairs at the point guard position. This may be what they need. I'm, I mean, you know, you brought up their potential starting five. I kind of like it. Um, I kind of think, you know, it's it's a team that's not going to be talked about as much because they didn't make the big moves um, like your Miamis did that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Brooklyn to another extent as well. Um, But, you know, they're going to be a a team that's right up there um, as they always are. And, uh, man, I think think the future looks pretty good for right now. Now, how, how long that lasts... Um, and if Tatum and Brown can't play with another point guard, if, if this is three top point guards that they can't play with, sometimes you may have to look inward. I got to tell you, I'm a little embarrassed to say it's almost like a, like a David Ortiz scenario, you know, because as long as I rooted against David Ortiz, 
I always love, how do you not love David right, Ortiz? Exactly. You know what I mean? I got a certain, you know, my unhealthy infatuation with NBA big men. <laughs> and I got, to, I love the time Lord. I mean, <laughs> shit, there was a couple games in the playoffs uh, last season where I was like, oh my goodness. Like these little snippets of the time Lord where you're like, if that boy puts it together, shit, like. Boston's got a proper, proper big man for the next few years, you know? Yeah. All right, Benny. Well, we talked about them briefly, and they are a team. Y'all, I think it's the funny, the funniest thing about this NBA offseason is the two markets where people are most likely to go get uh, cosmetic surgery done, Los Angeles <laughs> and Miami, did just that this offseason, getting a bunch of cosmetic surgery that – you know, it, it could get them closer to a championship, but I doubt it. And we're going to talk about the Miami Heat right now. They added Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker to a, a, a team that was embarrassed by the eventual world champions in the first round of, of the playoffs. And they are a team that, you know, we saw in the finals how, you know, defense and size and athleticism eventually won the day um pj tucker may help you on defense kyle lowry as well but they're they're still gonna try it out miami that is they're still gonna try it out a very small lineup this year yeah i mean i i was a little surprised by you know sort of this idea that the moves miami made just automatically put them in a a separate class with like a pack of the East. And I honestly look at this team and I see a lot of things that need to, to go right for this to work. You know, the only sure thing I see on this team is bam out of bio, you know, like that's the only person I look at in this team and kind of think I know exactly uh, I know the baseline I'm going to get, and I know that there's an even higher ceiling of what he can do. And I do have a feeling um, that the offense is going to have to be like run through him a lot, you know, maybe a large margin of the time to get anything even really like moving and going over there. But he's getting better at that. And I think uh, that is one of the strange things I don't understand with Kyle Lowry where you know, he obviously needs to set up the offense and have the ball in his hands to be the most useful Kyle Lowry. So quickly, I'm curious to see how, like you said, uh, an offense that can potentially be stifled already um, is going to deal with that and how they're going to run this offense. I'm really curious to see. Obviously, you're going to need a jump from Tyler Hero. I mean, we don't know if he what he is yet and if he was a flash in the pan i'm not willing to say last season is exactly what he is so we'll see i think we're starting to learn exactly what duncan robinson is um and then i'm like i I think you're just leaning into this whole heat culture thing a little too much by bringing in like pj tucker and markeith morris and kyle lowry and Dwayne deadman i'm like i'm like how many like just grumpy hard workers do you need in the same place like i get the idea of heat culture but you also gotta like enjoy your life a little bit you're in miami you know like maybe i have a couple guys who know how to have some fun 
you know? Oh, I think I, I think PJ Tucker knows how to have fun. I, I think he won a championship <laughs> in Milwaukee and was like, "Oh, I can't tear it up here like I can on South Beach." <laughs> oh, all right, all right. Well, give him that. But I mean, all that being said, I'll ask I'll ask you this question: yeah. like, you know, obviously you'd say Brooklyn and Milwaukee are, are the class of the East going into next season. Now, is Miami any uh, further along? Than Boston, Philly, New York, as far as that, or Atlanta now too, in that second tier of Eastern Conference teams, did they actually put themselves above that pack? I would say no. I think that it's so interesting to look at the Eastern Conference because, you know, I I feel like the talk is going to be how it got so much better. Um, I think. Brooklyn currently is a clear number one, but all of these moves that Miami made, they seem to be made to have a good regular season, but I don't know how this helps when you eventually get to the playoffs. So, and last time I checked, Pat Riley doesn't exactly uh, play for playoff seeding. He plays to get rings and, and stuff like that. So listen, I like this. I think it, it's going to be good over the course of the regular season. But when it comes down to the playoffs, you know, you're going to have Kyle Lowry and he can go on Kyrie or Chris Middleton. Um, we're going to have, have Bam on Giannis or KD or switch that to, to, to PJ Tucker. But all of these things sound, sound good in, in theory, but PJ Tucker is going to be another year older trying to guard Kevin Durant. And last time I checked in that Bucks net series, KD still got his buckets. He still went yeah. for 40 almost every single game. So I don't, sure. you know, and it, it, it's easy, you know, for someone to say, oh, like you're just saying that because he, he, he left your team. P.J. Tucker is a great culture guy. He, he, he's a guy that can occasionally hit those big shots, right? But in that finals, it was mainly Bobby Portis that had to do the damn thing. So yeah. I'm not exactly There's sure. no Kevin Durant stopper. You can't hire right, a Kevin exactly. Durant stopper. It, it doesn't exist in the world. It's just like yeah. like like I'm pretty sure how now as a big man there's like there's no Giannis stopper. You know what Kevin Durant right. is from the mid-range and the 3, that's what is Giannis is in, in the low post. So, you know, these are guys that you can hope to stop, but you're really just uh, trying to contain them as best you can. That's right. And then let's move over to your Brooklyn Nets. Ben, you guys made some great... Sean Marks just knows how to do it, man. I really like what you guys are doing here. Um, I love, I love Patty Mills backing up Kyrie, Mm. especially if Kyrie goes AWOL a little bit during the regular season. Then you have Patty Mills dishing it to Harden and KD. Love this. You got Blake back. You got to be feeling pretty good. Um, I advise Nets fans... uh, don't act whoever wins next year's championship like they're leasing it from you. That's not cool to do ever. But, uh, <laughs> Benny, you got to feel pretty good about your Nets going into next season. Yeah, and, I mean, the biggest the biggest part of it and the biggest chip to fall is the fact that arguably the, if not the best or one of the three best players in the world, which we just established, um decided to stay for another four years. So like, this is Kevin Durant's team. Like I was saying last season, you, you know, you even saw it on the bench. There was 
the entire year he sat out and I was going to Nets games. Most of the time, Kevin Durant was there. He was on the bench. This is a basketball dude. He's a gym dude. And he is fully invested in this thing. And I think they did the smart thing by taking away any narrative or anything and just like locking it up and making this a sure thing for the next couple of years. Cause now anyone anywhere near that team is like, we are just set up to win a championship right now. And everything that's happening is geared towards that. So I think even philosophically what Marks did with Durant is smart. You just left nothing up to question, nothing up to the media to decide. It's just there and done. Patty Mills definitely gave us some kind of discount because mm. I got to imagine there were three for 30, you know, plus type offers out there for him. So him coming at the mid-level two years at 12 is an absolute steal and might end up being the best signing of the offseason. I mean, I think uh, in the last few years with the Spurs being a little more uh, pedestrian than they, than they normally are, Patty Mills kind of got, you know, lost in the lurch a little bit, but super special player, great shooter, great energy, great locker room, like everything you could want. And like you said, I mean, you know, he's being brought in as a backup, but there's room for Patty Mills to get like 30 minutes a night, you know, Um, and he's going to play a lot. And, you know, the only uh, marked loss you could say the Nets had was Jeff Green. Um, I think bringing back Bruce Brown and then adding James Johnson kind of adequately fills those Jeff Green spots where you can use him, uh, use Johnson in that spaced small ball lineup, um, still shoot threes, still kind of linger around the paint, play defense and do it, uh, you know, versatile. I think that was good. And then they managed somehow a team, you know, that made it to the, Eastern Conference Finals managed to have a good draft again, too. Um, you know, Cam Thomas seems like he's ready to play. I, I, you know, I am one of those people who puts too much into Summer League. So uh, <laughs> I am going to say I'm impressed by what he's been doing there. But at least the boy knows how to score. I don't know what kind of player he is. Uh, Deron Sharp looks good. So, you know, they added more rotational pieces there. Blake is back. Yeah, it's just... Uh, Sky's the limit. I think the only questions are the same questions that we were dealing with last year is how much is Kyrie going to be around and invested and when, uh, you know, how's Harden's health? You know, those things are going to be probably the biggest questions going into it. The same questions we had towards the end of the season. And I think I may be the only person slash first person to ask this in sports media, but Right now, if you could trade, you know, say trade Kyrie for a more reliable reliable point guard, would you do it? No. Mm. No, 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 no. Because it's the absolute opposite of what you're talking about with Miami. If Kyrie plays 15 regular season games this year, fine. <laughs> mm. They're still going to win plenty. They're still going to be up towards the top of the East. I need Kyrie Irving in the playoffs. I want him in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like, like that is what is going to make this thing go from really good to over the top. Mm. Good. You know? Um, So no, I don't, I don't think that's the best move yet, but I may be singing a different tune (laughs) in a few months, you know, based on uh, the way he approaches this season. I mean, it's getting more and more difficult to, uh, 
you know, to, to be a prognosticator of Kyrie, you know, but he also continues in the off season to do like all these great charitable works. And, you know, he's, he's not like, this is the thing you'll give to the guy. I mean, you know, the proof is in the pudding and sometimes athletes are judged on the fact that they say the right thing all the time. Like if you sit in a press conference and you give the old 110% speech and you talk about team, then all these fans are going to love you. Uh, but you could basically be a piece of shit or completely ignore, you know, social problems outside the court and people don't care. Kyrie is a little tough to get your head around. He's obviously a complicated guy, has a complicated relationship with the media. But story after story is him out there like doing good work and actually taking his free time and using it in a good way. So I don't know, man. Maybe we should just base it more on that. So you're saying that Kyrie could be a senator for eight months of the year, but as long as he's there in the playoffs, that's all That's all Nets fans should hope for. I mean, I mean, it's the maybe the only thing we should hope to count on. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like if you can get me Kyrie healthy and get me 16 wins at the end of the year there, like then the whole thing is worth it. You know, that's what we're going for here. The Nets have proved themselves that you have Kevin Durant and James Harden like you're going to be able to get through the regular season, you know, like no problem. But as you saw in last year's postseason, like Katie can very closely come and do it on his own, yeah. but he still still needs a little more, you know? I love it. I, I love it. All right, real quick, and we'll wrap up on this. Top eight in the Eastern Conference, way too early, just off the dome. What are you thinking? Well, I mean, there's the obvious. Like, okay, Brooklyn's in. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee's in. Mm-hmm. Boston's in. Philly's in. Miami's in. Mm-hmm. Atlanta's in. Mm-hmm. The Knicks are in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, seven is pretty solid here. Yeah. Uh, and then we're looking at, you know, the the new look Bulls, the the Hornets, the sort of revamped Raptors, and probably the Wizards now with, oh, yeah. with the moves they made after Westbrook. So, you know. Uh, Eastern Conference is packed. Eastern Conference um, has like 10 and, teams, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the playing games and things like that should really determine a lot this year. I mean, I could easily see like, uh, you know, a team like Charlotte coming in with like a nine seed and fucking with the Knicks at a seven seed or something like that. It's very possible. So the East is deep and it's fun and it's young. You got Cade Cunningham over there, Mobley and Cleveland. Like it's it's fun. I can't I can't wait for all this to start. We forgot about the Pacers as well. They're, they're gonna look different. They got a lot. I mean, I don't think they can match up with the top, but they'll definitely be in that playing conversation and could win a game or two. I preferred Bjorkin over Carlisle oh. personally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, if, if, if you want to have your say, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show, you can email us at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com, two Ps in there. If you want to check out our stuff on social, we are at the HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz, one, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? I do. Make sure this week you go out and tell your people you love them, you know? That's right. Benny, I love you.
The show has ended. Aww, Go in love peace. You, Danny. You've listened to the tune up. <laughs>